Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. This morning, we're going to continue in our study as we continue through the Bible. We're in the Gospel of Luke. We've come to chapter 7. And as you're turning to chapter 7, just to kind of get y'all up to speed, uh, chapters 1 through 3, first part of 4, we see Jesus declared as God. Luke puts him front and center, his birth, his baptism, the temptation from Satan, his rejection in Nazareth. In chapters 4, the second part, and 5, after the declaration, we see the demonstration of Jesus' deity, all right? The declaration first, the demonstration second, in preaching and teaching and healing. And yet, at the end of chapter 5, we see he's rejected by the nation and the national leaders. In chapter 6, Jesus changes course and starts upon uh, a declaration of his kingdom, the kingdom to come, this new kingdom. He does this through the Sermon on the Plain that we looked at last week with its new Sabbath, its new saints, its new law, and its new Lord. And today, after declaring on the Sermon on the Plain, declaring the kingdom, now we're going to see in chapter 7 a declaration or a demonstration, I should say, of the kingdom, right? Word first, followed up by the actions, the deeds, the doing of it all, right? In chapter 6 was the teaching, chapter 7 is the doing today of the new kingdom. And this is a pattern that we see in the scripture, hearing first, healing second. The word comes first, the wonders follow. The print, the page, comes first, his presence follows, it comes after the letter of the law comes first. The life of Christ always follows. And we always want to keep that order going properly. And so here we have a demonstration of the doing of the new kingdom. In chapter 7, I hope to show you uh, the big picture, right? I hope that you can experience the meta-narrative, right? The big story today and see that big picture. Last week in chapter 6, we ended in the Sermon on the Plain, uh, Jesus saying in verse um, 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? And truly, the kingdom is not just a kingdom of saying and talking, and it's a, it's a kingdom of doing. Why don't you do the things that I say? So today in chapter 7, we're going to get a new here do. Uh, okay, well, maybe you don't need one, okay. <laughs> As by way of illustration, kind of just to set this up and preface all of this, this past summer, uh, our grandson Levi turned four years old in uh, July, and so he's, he's a big boy now, right? He's being homeschooled, he's very bright, of course, I'm his grandpa, so I'm a expert on that. He's bright. He knows his Ten Commandments. Raise your hand if you can rattle, rattle them off right now. Don't raise your hand because I might call on you. <laughs> My four-year-old grandson knows his Ten Commandments. He's a bright kid, okay? Uh, and he's so excited for all the things that he's learning, right? Uh, in fact, 
the big phrase all summer long was, I know everything. He's very proud of himself for all of his accomplishments and this big world that's unfolding in front of him. Well, over the summer, we had opportunity for a lot of sleepovers at Grandpa and Grandma's house. And from our house, just sitting in the yard to the south, you can see the Albion Hills and Mount Harrison. You turn around to the north and you can see the range of the Sawtooths up there. And uh, I would tell him as summer would go along in July, as soon as the snow melts out and the roads are open, we're going to go fishing up there on top of Mount Harrison to Lake Cleveland. And uh, Levi would say, there's no lake up there. There's no fish on top. I can't see him, right? He says, I see. I know, Grandpa. That's not true. All I see, that, that mountain's black, is what he would say. Now, from our distance, it's dark because it's all forested, right? Cloaked in uh, pine forest and everything. So in his mind, in his world of knowing everything, that mountain was black. Until the day we drove up there. And it was so fun as we started our way up the mountain. Even as we approached, he goes, yep, black, black. He's just sat on that. And then we got close enough he could see. And all of a sudden, that black started coming into vision. And he saw, oh, and he's really good on his trees, right? Because we've been teaching him all his botany and all this kind of stuff. He goes, oh, aspens. Oh, fir trees. Where's the cottonwoods? Look, there's snow. <gasps> it's a deer. Oh, these wildflowers are amazing. Rainbow trout. He's catching fish, and his world is just exploding. And no longer is the mountain black, right? And it's just amazing. He gets to the top on the fire lookout. If you ever been up there on top of Mount Harrison? He looks down below. <gasps> I can see the Snake River. <gasps> I see the Sawtooth Mountains. <gasps> I see your house, Grandpa and Grandma, right? I see everything. And for the rest of the summer, every time we would see him, we had a sleepover, he would ask, can we go up on the high mountain where I can see everything? Well, that's what I pray we do this morning. We've had this sermon on the plain. Jesus has declared the kingdom of heaven, but this morning, we, we're going to go up high. We're going to look down, and we're going to see the kingdom of heaven, experience the kingdom of heaven, I pray. Uh, Jesus declared it. This morning, he's going to demonstrate it, and he's going to do it in four things. I gave you a little handout. Maybe you got it in your bulletin, and you can kind of use it to kind of keep track because we're going to try to move rather fast this morning. And we're going to cover in this demonstration of the kingdom, the action of living it out, the centurion and his servant and his faith and the authority of the kingdom that Jesus has. And we'll look at the power of the kingdom as Jesus raises to life the, the widow of names, her, her son. And then we're going to look at the Old Testament prophets of the kingdom and their purpose and we'll see that through John the Baptist and his disciples. And then we're going to look at the New Testament principles and Christ's presence in the new kingdom in the woman who had been forgiven much and loved much. Okay? So all that being said, this is your pilot speaking. We'll be backing away from the gate at Luke chapter 7 momentarily. Today we'll be cruising at 490 knots at an altitude of 30,000 feet, covering 50 verses from law to love. We expect smooth sailing with clear skies and fantastic views of the kingdom of Christ. Please be sure your Bible is open and your prayers are in the upright position as we take off. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to see, help us to hear, 
Help us to experience you and worship you to the glory of the Father. Amen? Amen. So here we go. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when he, Jesus, concluded all his sayings, that was the Sermon on the Plain, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. We looked at that back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. This is the place that Jesus took up residence. It was his headquarters where he hung out primarily in his uh, ministry into the Galilean region for about a year and a half. Okay, So here he is in verse 2, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So here's the setup. There is in Capernaum a centurion, okay? A centurion is a man who is a captain of 1,000 men, okay? Not 100 like you'd think from century, 1,000 men. So he's a man of great authority, and in this passage, we're going to look at the authority of the kingdom, the new kingdom, the authority of Christ. And he's a man of great authority. He has a servant, and his servant is dear to him, and his servant is sick unto death. And he hears that Jesus is there. The word is spread throughout all of Galilee that this, this Messiah, this, this promised one, can heal. And so the centurion seeks for healing. And it's interesting, he heard about Jesus and sent elders of the Jews to Jesus, pleading with him to heal his servant. And they came to Jesus, the elders of the Jews, and begged him earnestly, saying uh, that the one he should do this for was deserving. And then their description of why he deserves it is for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now, in all of this kingdom and kingdom authority and why and when somebody should do something, Jesus is trying to lay out this new kingdom, this kingdom of love, okay, and this authority. There's two words in the Greek I'm going to talk about just a little bit this morning. The first one is exousia, which means authority, okay? I got it in your notes, a legal right to establish or enforce a rule of law, okay, like a legislator, like a lawmaker, you have a legal right. In this kingdom that Jesus is setting up, he is Lord, Lord. He has the authority. He has the right to set the rules, okay? And as we look at the rules and we boiled them down last week, it comes down to this. Do unto your neighbor as you would like them to do to you. That fundamentally is the law of the land, okay? And Jesus has the authority, he has the legal right as creator, God. Luke's already declared him and demonstrated he's God, he's deity, and now Jesus is declaring his kingdom and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he would say at the end of Matthew's gospel. And so he has the right to establish and enforce the rule of law, and he shows this through this centurion and his servant. Now, the centurion certainly had a good reputation amongst the Jews, even the Jewish elders. Now, remember, Rome was an occupying force, and they had displaced Israel from its rights, okay, from its authority. And so, 
the Roman soldier by most people would be looked at in a rather negative light. And yet there's four different examples in the scriptures where a, a centurion is brought forward and every single one of them remarks favorably on these centurions. They're men of honor. They're men of integrity. There's nothing disparaging ever said about a centurion. In fact, in the scriptures, people look up to the, the centurions, much as we today in our society, we look up to our police officers, right? Or our National Guard, our sheriffs, our military, those people who are people in authority and maintain law and order. And this is what the centurion did. He had a great reputation, and it says that he deserves it, right? Because uh, he loves our nation and built us a synagogue. Now, you and I know, we've read the New Testament, there is none righteous, not one, not even the centurion here, as good a guy as he was, and he doesn't deserve anything. According to the authority, according to the rule of law, the wages of sin is death, okay? And so in this new kingdom, this new authority, the authority is given to Jesus Christ, but the old kingdom, the old order, these uh, religious um, Pharisees, they're learning that their old school religion is being displaced. It's being upgraded, 2.0, okay? Jesus has now come to fulfill the law, and so he's helping us to see that he has the new authority. Now, this, this centurion, no doubt, was probably a God-fearer. It doesn't say for sure whether he had converted, whether he was a proselyte, had been circumcised, but many in those days, while they were not Jewish, they, they accepted and they embraced Yahweh God. They, they respected him. They reverenced him. They, they worshiped him. And, and this man built a synagogue out of his pocket, out of his wages. So certainly, even though he's an outsider, uh, racially, if you will, nationally, he's of one heart towards Yahweh God. And so you could say he's a good guy, but deserving? I don't think so. Yet under the new law, under the new authority of Christ, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So Jesus is going to do unto this centurion according to his faith. It says, verse 6, Then Jesus went out with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and the one goes, and the other, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this centurion recognizes that for Jesus to come into his house would defile a Jew. Jews wouldn't go into the resident of a Gentile. That would be something that would cause them to have to go through all kinds of ceremonial cleansings and those kinds of things. And Jewish, being a, you know, a, a good, righteous rabbi, shouldn't have to go in there. He says, don't worry, you don't have to come here. Don't come to my house. In fact, I know how this works, okay? I'm a man of authority. I have the right to establish and to execute or enforce the law. And I just say, do, and it's done, my word. And in doing this, he demonstrates amazing understanding of the new kingdom. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, uh, he says, 
when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them. There's two places in the Bible where Jesus marveled. Most of the time, you don't catch Jesus off guard, but right here, he's like, wow. <laughs> he says, Jesus heard these things, he marveled and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, mega faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. So he has authority. He has authority to heal. And this centurion knew that. This centurion understood that. His faith. His faith was not in the nation of Israel as the Jews. Okay, he's done, he loves our nation. He's done wonderful things for us. His faith was not in what he could you know, bring to the table. His faith was focused on the Lord. Okay, and, and this is something that's so important for all of us, that this great faith. And what we see here on display being demonstrated is the faith of the nation, the faith of Israel. Even Jesus would say, I haven't seen such great faith in the whole nation. Okay, the nation of Israel's failing. Their faith is failing. Their focus of their faith is false. They are focused on their bloodline, their lineage, their law, their books, their temple. They're not focused on the Lord. They're not focused on the Messiah, who is their deliverer. They're missing the whole point. But Jesus delivers, opens this up and says, I've got the authority. Moving on, another demonstration we see here in verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went to a city called Nain, and many of the disciples went with him, a large crowd. So a whole bunch of them got up and they got on the road. They, they headed up past the horns of Hattin into the Jezreel Valley. Uh, it's a good long day's walk. They're about six miles south of Nazareth now. And they come into a city named Nain. Okay? And uh, he's got a large crowd with them. And when he had come near the gate of the city, behold. And whenever you see the word behold, I just, it's good to look at that. That means stop and ponder this concept for a minute. When you soak it all in. Okay? When the Bible says behold, you're supposed to behold it. Take, it, take a minute just to get the picture here. Behold, a dead man was being carried out. What do we call that? Funeral, right? He walks in, a dead man's being carried out. Funeral procession. And the only son of his mother. Did you behold that? How many sons does his mom have? And what just happened to her son? Okay. And she was a widow. Did you behold that? What does that mean? No husband. No husband, no son, bereft. Not just grieved by the death of her son, but she's now with no resources in this world. She's just been cast to the curb. Okay? And Jesus comes in, all this crowd with him, and this is what they walk into. And a large crowd from the city was with her, no doubt, with flutes and timbrels and wailing and all the stuff that they do in their funerals. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Pa'i pa'ila mo'ako. Huh? My hurt in your heart or your hurt in my heart. Compassion, empathy, understanding what is going on in this situation. Jesus grieves with this widow who's grieving and understands the depth of her distress. So what does he do? When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, 
do not weep. I'm going to touch on this in just a couple of minutes, but we were at a um, celebration of life yesterday. And <laughs> you can tell me do not weep, but the tears just keep on coming. You know, when you're, when you're encountering a situation like that, you're on, you're on the precipice of eternity, you're looking into the abyss, and you're wondering life, death, and all these kinds of things. Things get really heavy at the moment, right? And uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful celebration of life. I'm going to touch on it again, like I said, but this is real. Been there? Done that? Am I just declaring the kingdom to you, or are we demonstrating the kingdom right now? Are you feeling this? Are you understanding? Are you beholding this? Because that's the point here. Then he came and touched the open coffin. <gasps> it just got defiled. Does that bother Jesus? Leper says, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. Jesus says, I'm willing. Grabs his hand and reaches out. Touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Okay, you can read that all day long, but did you experience that? I mean, this is going to blow your mind, right? All of us, any of us, I don't care who you are. This is rad. This is insane. This is amazing. This is power on display like nobody's business. Raising people from the dead. Power, dunamis is the Greek word. It's the word that we get the word dynamite from. That's just explosive power. Jesus is God. Jesus is deity. It's been declared. This is his kingdom, but in demonstration, he has the power and authority to tell this man, rise. And he did. It's not the only place. We see it uh, with Jairus' daughter. We're going to see it with Lazarus. It's in the Old Testament. They threw a guy on Elijah's bones and he jumped back to life. Okay? These are things God does. And it just demonstrates this is God. This is His kingdom. This is the kingdom come. This is His will be done. And it's being displayed for all to experience then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. Amen? Amen. You know, every one of us, I would pray, has a testimony of being visited. That you have experienced the living God, who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who's chosen you. And given you a new name and made you his child. If you haven't experienced that, you can. It's not hard. It's simple. Just believe. Look at what is on display. Ask yourself, who is this that raises the dead? Who is this that speaks and people are healed? This is God. Jesus Christ. Believe on your heart, that he is the Lord. Believe that he's been raised from the dead. If you will just speak that out loud, you will be like the crowd, and fear will come upon you and say, God has visited us. You can become a child of God. You could be born again. I'm going to pray right now.
if there's anybody in this room, because I know there's visitors from around town, and I don't know all your circumstances, but if you'll just pray with me for a minute. Lord Jesus, we confess you as Lord. We believe, as the Bible teaches, that you were crucified, buried, and rose again. You did so to forgive our sin and then come to life that we can follow you into your kingdom. Help me, Lord, now to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. There's no formula to the prayer. It's what's in your heart. Do you want to go to heaven? <laughs> you want to have your sins forgiven? You want to have life? Here we see the kingdom. It's a kingdom of life. It's a kingdom of second birth. It's on display in front of all of this. And the whole crowd is just amazed, right? Fear comes upon them. A great prophet has risen. God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and the surrounding region. Wow. The kingdom on, di on display, the kingdom demonstrated. Verse 18. Then the disciples of John. That's going to be John the Baptist. Okay, we met him earlier. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning these things. Wow, healings, raising from the dead. They're going and telling John. If you remember, John is in prison. Um, I just want to go back to chapter 3, verse 15 for a minute. It says, now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered and said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing, winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. So the people are in expectation. And their prophet, John the Baptist, is in jail. And now the disciples of John reported to him concerning these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Earlier, as we discussed, John's message is the herald, the messenger to proclaim Jesus the Messiah. We looked at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and on through where it describes the ministry of John the Baptist, that he would come, the last of the Old Testament prophets, to declare there's a day coming, Messiah is going to come, he's going to uh, save you. And so this has been John's message. Um, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? The people are expecting Messiah. The kingdom, Jesus has declared in the Sermon on the Plain, what it's like, but now we're going to see this demonstrated. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? At that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and many blind he gave sight. So there you go. Are you the coming one? Wow, right? I 
can see. I'm, I can walk. I'm, you know, all these people are just going off all around. It's like, well, something's going on here, right? Isn't that exactly what Isaiah said Messiah would do? The answer is yes, in case you didn't know. That is exactly what Isaiah said. And you know, we've seen this repeated over and over, and all these things are happening right in front of them. Um, and uh, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And this is the final thing he sends to John the Baptist. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he. It's another beatitude. Oh, blessed are ye when you're not offended because of Jesus. What do you mean offended because of Jesus? Jesus doesn't offend anybody, does he? Well, the word offended here is skandalion. And it's the word from which we get the word scandal. If you've heard of a scandal, right? Something that you might read in the paper of something that is terribly wrong. It really comes from the idea or the word to trip a trap, to, to break the stick that closes the trap. And this idea of the scandal, those who are offended, is somebody who's been tripped up or trapped, if you will, by Jesus. And what is inferred, inferred here is your expectations. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think the Bible said he is? What do you think this kingdom come is actually going to look like? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed or let down that Jesus and this kingdom of heaven didn't turn out to be what you thought it should be? Have you ever prayed and felt that your prayer wasn't answered? Have you ever lost a loved one? And you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and they died anyway. Have you ever been hurt by somebody in the church? Is that what the kingdom's supposed to be like? They treat me like dirt there. Have you ever experienced a, a pastor or a leader who's fallen, let you down severely? Blessed are you who are not tripped or trapped or offended because you expected that Jesus wouldn't be like that. Can we put God in a box? No. Now, Jesus is clearly showing us here that he has authority to heal. He has power to raise from the dead. But in this kingdom, and especially with John the Baptist, there's a purpose in this prophet. John the Baptist, he came to declare Messiah. He came to say, he is the one. I must decrease, he must increase. I am of the Old Testament, the old law. It is fading away. He is the new one. He's going to take it on to fulfillment, to completion. And John the Baptist's ministry was complete. And so, truly, this is something that's kind of hard to take. It says, Blessed is me who is not offended because of me. Poor John the Baptist. There's a book that I love. It's by Gene Edwards. It's called Prisoner in the Third Cell. And it deals with this, this what must be going on in John the Baptist's head as he's sitting there in the dungeon awaiting execution. Can you imagine? Are you the coming one? 
I mean, I've preached you. You're my cousin. I've been telling the whole world about you. I'm just this. I've lived my life for you. Jesus would say he's the most righteous man that's ever lived. This guy's good, right? I mean, if there was one good, he'd be the one. And yet it seems as though I'm going to die. I'm going to die for this. And that prisoner in the third cell, you know, blessed are you who are not offended. Can you get over what you expected Jesus to be and serve him even if he doesn't answer your prayer? Even if you get hurt at church. Even if your pastor's an idiot. I'm serious, right? We were at a memorial service yesterday, a celebration of life for Pastor Levi Woodhouse. Some of you know him. You know his wife, Amanda, a lot of you ladies that have been to women's uh, retreats. And it was an amazing time. It felt like I was in heaven for about two and a half hours yesterday. Absolutely amazing testimony of the life of this man. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But (laughs) the icing on the cake, the cherry on top is his wife, Amanda, was able to get up at the end of the service and address everybody. And the Holy Ghost just got a hold of her, and she preached it. And it was amazing. But you understand, they were on their way back to Idaho. They had been in Ridgecrest, and they were coming back up to help pastor a church here in Jerome. And they were coming through Nevada on Highway 6 across the desert out past Tonopah. Uh, He fell asleep. The car rolled, he was ejected, killed, and she found herself not knowing what end is up. In the dark, about midnight, in the desert, can't figure out a thing, doesn't know what's going on, eight months pregnant, and her world has just disappeared. It's 30 degrees or below, below freezing. She can't see a thing, and all of a sudden, his cell phone went off. And the light from the cell phone she was able to crawl over and find her husband was dead. He was playing Christian music because that's what he had for a ringtone. She was able to take the phone, amazingly, in the middle of what's called the loneliest highway in America. They happened to crash at a place with cell service. Somebody was calling him after midnight. And she was able to find the phone and call 911. 75 minutes was the nearest responders. She laid there out there on the highway, no traffic, nobody come along. Her and her husband, freezing, shivering cold, waiting for rescue. You can't imagine what she's been through. Yesterday, she got up and she preached. She preached Jesus. She preached the love of Christ. She preached the kingdom to come. She preached this powerful, amazing Tonight, we're going to have a, a book reading with the tea home. We're going through a book called uh, Hindsight on High Places by Hannah Hernan. And in it, there's a story of this little fearling called Much Afraid, and she's on her journey to the high mountains, to the kingdom. Uh, the shepherd's taking her there. Along the way, she has to learn a lot of lessons, build a lot of altars, lay her life down on the altar over and over again. But as she does, she learns some lessons. Behold me, she would say to the shepherd, Thy handmaiden, acceptance with joy. Can you accept that with joy? Amazingly, Amanda can. Is she broken? She's shattered. But 
There's a purpose. There's a plan in all of this. Behold, thy handmaiden, bearing the cost. You understand, this is what it's like to walk with Christ. You know, <laughs> Jesus did go to the cross. Jesus was crucified. You do know that, right? And you understand that none of us got out of this world deserving anything better and all that. It's just amazing. I like what Job says in Job chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. Can you come to the place that God, who is a good God, but what if he wasn't? What if he was a tyrant? What if he was brute? What if he was just a total wretch? He's still God. He's still the creator. He still made you, and he can still do whatever he wants with you. It doesn't matter what you deserve. But God is different. Amen? Blessed are they who are not offended because of me. So you didn't get what you wanted. Maybe God's got something completely different in mind for you. You do understand that this life is but a vapor. In just a moment, we're going to be celebrating with Levi. He's there, no doubt. He's hanging out with Moses right now. Like, seriously? <laughs> but we got to get perspective. We have to see the kingdom. He says, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitude concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? In other words, what were you expecting? A reed shaken by the wind? Did you go out in the wilderness just to look for a piece of grass just whacking around in the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. That's not what you went out there to see. You went out there to see the kingdom preached. What did you really expect when you went out there? What did you find? Verse 26, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. That's Malachi 3.1. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Every single one of us, you know, the difference is John the Baptist died before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us now, as we confess Jesus Christ and the Lord, are indwelt with His Holy Spirit. John the Baptist and all of his faith, John the Baptist and all his witness and testimony, everything that he did, he didn't have the blessing that you and I have of just being indwelt by the Spirit of God. Yes, he was led by God, but he wasn't indwelt. Amazing, born again. Verse 29, and when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God. Yep, that's right, uh-huh, right? Those sinners, those publicans, those Matthew, Levi's, right? Those Zacchaeus, those people like me, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to be forced on you. You got to want to. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want mercy? Do you want to see your king? And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another and saying, Okay, it's a bunch of children. They're playing games, okay? 
We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. And we mourned, and you did not weep. No matter what we did, you did not respond. That's what Jesus is saying. These Pharisees, these scribes, these lawyers are like. I have come and I have done everything to demonstrate to you I am your Messiah. This kingdom come. The dead are raised, right? Everything is happening, and yet you don't respond. Verse 33, for John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. Here he is, all righteous and, and, and pure and perfect, and you th say he's got a demon when he's living more righteous than the Pharisees. Verse 34, and the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. And Jesus is just with the common people, but no matter what happens, whether it's John the Baptist or Jesus, it's just never good enough. What are you expecting? What did you think this was going to be like? A wine-bibber and friend of tax collectors and sinners. Anybody here a friend of tax collector? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay. You're not? Anybody met Jeff? I need to introduce Jeff to you guys. <laughs> He's the nicest guy. Okay. But wisdom is justified by all her children, right? Be fruit inspectors. A good tree bears good fruit. Plank eye. Get the plank out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of others. This is the kingdom demonstrated. And finally, we're going to wrap up because we've got lunch coming. 36, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Wow, that's cool. I wonder if that was Nick, Nicodemus. I don't know. But we do read in the scriptures, some Pharisees did confess Jesus. There were some who recognized this is everything the Bible said he should be. This is the kingdom that we've been promised. And in, uh, up at the Renaissance today, Dallas will be preaching out of John chapter 3, Nick at night. You must be born again. This religious guy, he knew he needed more. Just being religious wasn't enough. And that's the demonstration of the kingdom. It's beyond religion. It's relationship. Do you know when you say, Lord, Lord, do you see him? Do you know him? Do you experience him? Do you worship him? Do you do as you hear? Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, this, I'm, a, I'm sorry, this is a micism for just a minute here. Do any of you guys have a problem that Jesus goes to Matthew, the tax collector's house, and has a dinner with tax collectors, wine-bibbers, gluttons? Does that bother any of you? doesn't bother me. I mean, you know, such were all of us at some point, right? Thank God Jesus came and said, come to the table. <laughs> there's place. There's room, Mike. Well, oh, thank you. But this is the weird one. A Pharisee invites him, and he goes there. That's the one that kind of troubles me a little bit. He would go there. Hmm. That's the one I might have a hard time going to that table with that holier-than-thou person. Have you ever been to a situation where you feel just totally out of place? These people are so stuffy and uptight. I know I'm reading into that, what it doesn't say here, but it's not hard. It's not a big stretch. Anyways, that's just a micism, remember? It's not the Bible. Verse 36, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, 
a woman, remember, behold, what does behold mean? To behold, get a hold of it, get a grip on it, take a look at this, this is a demonstration, not just words, this is the deeds, this is the action. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Oh man, that's pretty much every woman in the city, right? But here, she's known, she, everybody calls her, that's her, that's her name, that's her reputation. Uh, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, extremely expensive, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Man, such devotion, such extravagance, just pouring everything out that she had. This would just, it would be thousands and thousands of dollars to us, half a year's wages, whatever that might be. Can you imagine just giving that to somebody? Absolutely extravagant worship. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Absolute humility. Absolute worship. Absolute reverence. This is the kingdom. This is what we get to do. Levi is looking at Jesus right now. They're hanging out together in the kingdom. It's happening as we speak. Here she has the opportunity. She doesn't waste her opportunity. She gives everything she's got. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, wow, that's a righteous act of worship. What version do you have? It's different? Okay, mine is too. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Certainly, he must have some form of discernment. If he's a prophet, can't he even be a fruit inspector and see this is bad fruit, right? She, he wouldn't let that woman touch her. He's just like all defiled. And I'm sure he's aghast that she's even in the house, in his house, and uh, just beside himself, what are we going to do with this person? I love it, hate it when that happens to me. I love it, hate it when it happens at church. I say, I love it, hate it. How awkward, how uncomfortable is it? Church, Springs Calvary Chapel. Is this your home? Is this your family? How weird, how uncomfortable is it when somebody really, I don't know, fill in the blank, weird, odd, awkward, different, just walks in and sits down in here. You know what I'm saying? I love it. I'm glad they're here. But I hate it. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Are you with me or am I the only guy in the room that feels like that? I mean... It, you get those moments, and here's one of them. So Jesus has something to say to us. Verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, rabbi, say it. 
there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said to him, I suppose the one whom we forgave more. And he said to them, you have rightly judged. You've made a good discernment. You figured that out. Yeah. You know, somebody owes you 50 bucks or somebody owes you 500 bucks, right? And you forgive both of them. Which you think is going to be more grateful? The answer usually for all of us, based on the world system, based on the old kingdom, based on what we feel we deserve, based on the things that we have done in the kingdom or for the kingdom, the answer would be the one who was forgiven a whole bunch. And Jesus says, well, yeah, according to the old order of things, that's exactly how it would work. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? And in my Bible, I circled see. Do you see? Would you even look at her? Would you just pick up your eyes, turn your face, you know, with kids all the time, it's fun. My grandson Levi again, look at me, look at my eyes, I'm talking to you. Do you even see this woman? Who is she? Where did she come from? What is it that you, you claim to have discernment? You claim I should have discernment. But what are you looking at? What are you seeing? You're seeing the outside. You're seeing the filth. You're seeing the wickedness. You're seeing the evil. You're seeing all the stuff that Satan played on her. Jesus says, I see her. I knit her when she was in her mother's womb. All the days of her life, I have fashion for her. I know who she is. I know who she's going to be. I see her. Do you see her? This is the kingdom. Not talk. Do you see? Do you know who this woman is? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, which should be standard operating procedure. Back in the day, walking sandals, dirty roads, you come into somebody's house, the servant, the lowest person in the house would wash the feet. At the very least, the homeowner would do it if he didn't have a servant. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. That's a standard, warm, cordial, friendly greeting. What am I even here for? Who am I to you? What, what, do you? what do you expect when you invite me over to dinner? What do you expect when you invite me into your heart? What do you think is going to happen when you call on Jesus and say, Lord, please come into my heart? What do you think it's going to be like? with Jesus there and you have a relationship with him where you just don't have the time to bother to hug him kiss him wash his feet acknowledge him see him is he just some kind of insurance policy some kind of chip that you picked up off the shelf you're gonna get to heaven and show your chip hey I got a chip 
This is, this is what Jesus is, is trying to help us see. He gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, here comes the conclusion. Anytime you see therefore, it means there's a point coming. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, no doubt, the whole town knew. That was her name. That was her reputation, the sinner. Yeah, got a lot of sins. But besides her sin, where was her heart? Where was her worship? What did she see when she looked at Jesus? She saw the one who could forgive her sins. She saw the one who would die for her sins. She saw the one who would never reject her, never forsake her, never leave her. Her sins... I'm sorry, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Isn't that the kingdom? To be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the kingdom in demonstration. But to whom little is forgiven, (laughs) the same loves little. 500 denarii. 50 denarii, which one do you think is more grateful? This is, I think, one of the hugest problems that I run into when people come to me and have issues in the church. It has to do with forgiveness and being able to forgive others and not being able to leave it at God's doorstep. Forgive them and just let God, he's the one. But I find, and this is something, just a little throwaway, and it's right here. He who has been forgiven much loves much. If you're finding it hard in your heart to forgive somebody, if you're finding it hard in your heart to love somebody, what it really is is a litmus test of how much you recognize you have been forgiven. And you think, maybe I'm really good. I'm not as bad as the other people. I didn't need to forgive a whole lot. I only had about 50 denarii worth of sins to forgive. You really have missed the picture here. You're not beholding yourself and what Christ has done for you. And when you recognize how much you've been forgiven and how much it cost, cost the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for your sin. Is there anything that you can't forgive of others? I just It's the heart of the matter. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And I say to you, on the authority of Jesus Christ, the scriptures You are forgiven. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago to pay the debt for your sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. If you will confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, that he has paid that price and risen from the dead, your sins are forgiven. I say to you, 
If you will believe, your sins are forgiven. That's good news. That's great news. Your sins are forgiven. Worship team, come on up. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, I don't know. I, got, I guess you got a Bible in front of you. You could have finished that sentence. But if you didn't finish that sentence, what are you saying to yourself right now as we come to the table? Forgive me, Lord, a sinner. Heal me. Help me. Help me to overcome my heartaches when I felt offended by you. When you let me down. When you didn't Show up like I expected you to. Like that pastor told me you were going to. Do business with the Lord and recognize you are forgiven. He's made a place at the table. They begin to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? What, who is this team? Anybody know in this room? This is God. This is Jesus Christ. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. This is the lover of our soul. This is our bridegroom. This is who we're going to spend eternity with. This is who has gone to heaven to make a way for you and I. That's who this is. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord Jesus, I thank you for that peace. <laughs> the war is over. You have settled the debt. We can stand before you clean. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. We can call upon you and know that you hear. We've seen you. We know you. We've experienced you. We hear you. And we love to do the things that put a smile on your face. Help us again by the power of your Holy Spirit to glorify the Father in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.